You're listening to Cinepunked, interactive discussions for film lovers. This episode, Bigger Than Rod. I'm your host, Robert J.E. Simpson, and I'm joined in studio tonight by the better looking of the Simpsons, uh, our producer, Ben. Hello. Hello. So we are going to be talking about The Ruddles, All You Need Is Cash, the uh, 1970s mockumentary produced by, uh, well, made by Eric Idle and Neil Innes, uh, parroting the life of the Beatles itself. We're also going to take this chance tonight to, to deviate into some other uh, pathways, just for a change. Rachel's not here. She's not going to keep us policed. <laughs> Sorry, Rachel. <laughs> um, but I think we'll we'll use this as a chance not just to talk about the roles, but also about the career of Neil Innes, um, uh, who died just last week at the age of 75. Um, if you listen to this in the future, he died a while ago. He was 75. Um, but we'll talk about that. And we're also going to talk about the influence of the film and also about some of the issues that actually do affect uh, those in the creative industries. Why not? Yeah, that's what we're going to do. I know this ahead of time because we've re-recorded our introduction for the show because we've had a conversation and it went all over the place. And I just want you to be prepared for what you're about to listen to. So now you've got that in mind. Are you braced, Ben? Yes, I'm braced. Let us begin our conversation that we had in the past, but is in your future. the uh, singer-songwriter genius who wrote uh, the songs for the Ruttles parody. Um, he was a man who uh, I had a lot of respect and admiration for. And um, we were hoping to do the Ruttles on the show this season anyway. And uh, his passing has just sort of upped it up the ranks a little bit. Yeah. So where should we start with this? Is this your first time watching the Ruttles? I think so, yeah. Um, I definitely enjoyed it. Uh it was it was good fun, slight hearted, um, and then that music as well. Like I can see, um, I can see that it was it's definitely like a par- it's a parody on the Beatles. Yeah, and even some of the music, like you can go, oh, I I recognize that that tune, but it's not that tune. So this is probably where we should probably start. So if you have not seen The Ruttles, All You Need Is Cash before, yeah. um, it is basically the story of the prefab for a four men who, uh, and it loosely parodies the, the Beatles. Yeah. It's, it's, well, I say loosely, it actually very, very closely parodies the Beatles' rise to par uh, over the course of 73 minutes. Um, I took, they take some liberties as well. Absolutely, because yeah. you cannot do a parody without taking massive liberties. Yes. Um, and so... I don't know how much you're aware about the origins of this, but in terms of that parodying element, mm-hmm. um, they actually, Neil and, um, and Eric Idle were actually allowed to watch uh, the Beatles documentary that was then being uh, constructed called The Long and Winding Road, which ultimately in the 1990s was finally released as the Beatles anthology project. So multiple episodes that told the whole story of the Beatles. So when you look at it, a lot of the visual stuff is very on the nose. In fact, one or two bits and pieces are taken from the Long and Winding Road as sort of uh, little filler bits. So there's some actual footage from that documentary. Right, okay. So things like the screaming crowds and stuff. Yeah. Like they're using the same shots. Yeah. But ultimately, it's very, very closely parodying that. It's very, very closely aping what actually happened. Yeah. Um, uh, and that that's it in a nutshell. I mean, if you know anything about the Beatles history... Um, this, I think, is probably quite a lot of fun in terms of both how it looks and how it sounds. Yeah. Well, I know I've I've heard the Beatles music. That's a relief. <laughs> um, <laughs> Could be one of those rare people on the planet who's never heard the Beatles. Not a lot, to be honest. But I, like, I've definitely listened to 
you know, some like growing up in in our house. Yeah, you know, obviously yourself. Uh-huh. You played some Beatles at times. I did. Um, I was never a big. I, I got to be honest. Like I've never really been a massive Beatles fan. Mm, um, no, either have I. I do remember in I think it was ninety four. Um, the first single I ever bought. Uh, a shiny bit of plastic vinyl uh, was uh, the Beatles Free as a Bird mm-hmm. which was one of the songs that they, they produced like long after John Lennon had died take one of his old tracks yeah. and then put them on top of it yeah. and then released it out to the public and I remember watching the anthology series and being fascinated by that story and loving George Martin of all people mm-hmm. um, most and that was kind of my proper introduction to their music Um. And then coming back to that, sort of on and off, I had a friend at school, um, hi Julian, if you're listening, uh, who adored the Beatles. And I remember him lending me a couple of LPs. I think he lent me Sgt. Pepper and um, Magical Mystery Tour. Yeah. Which were brilliant in their own wee way. Um, and I think I lent him the Ruttles in return, from my memory. Yeah. And he had it for ages and ages and ages. <laughs> the Rolls Archaeology album, which was the, the the album that they produced at the same time the anthology was coming out. Uh-huh. Um, <laughs> that was our trade. <laughs> was training off. He gave me the Beatles, I give him the Rolls. And like I was obviously already aware of them at that point. Yeah. So my jumping on point for the Rolls comes in the stuff that they're already doing. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's Neil Innes' work and it's Eric Idle's work separately. Yeah. So Eric Idle, best known as one of the six founding members of Monty Python's Flying Circus. Yeah. Um, brilliant writer. Um, some very, very funny stuff. Very, very funny sketches. And Neil Innes, who had been part of the Bonzo Dog Do That Band. Yeah. Um, and also, uh, funny enough, I was, did a piece for the BBC last week as a, as a little bit. And I was trying to think back to when I first been introduced to Neil Innes' work. As a kid in the 80s, Neil turned up on kids TV a lot. Did he? Yeah, he did a lot of stuff. So uh, after sort of the rules kind of came and went, and there was a lot of legal issues about that, which we can talk about. Mm-hmm. He ended up doing shows like Puddle Lane and the Raggy Dolls, which you might remember Raggy Dolls. Um, yeah. So Raggy Dolls, he actually wrote, co-wrote a lot of, and he wrote the music for it, and he narrated it. Yeah. Um, he also did a, a series of adverts for TV, and the one that always sticks out in my mind was he parodied a crooner doing the Magic Moments song for the Quality Streets. <laughs> magic Moments When two hearts are caring There are masses of magic moments in every box of Quality Street. This has been just one of them. We've been sharing So I was kind of familiar with them without ever realising that I was familiar with them. Yeah. Um... And it's only way after watching these things that it's really kind of come together for me. That's that's my personal background. Yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't have that that same same degree. Obviously, I've listened to uh, a lot of the Bonzo Dog Doodah Band. Yeah. No, uh, thanks to well, <clears throat> to anyone but yourself. Thanks. You know, <laughs> um, I've done my job well. Yes, Big Brother Wilms. Um <laughs> And then, uh, obviously. Seeing Monty Python as well, mm-hmm. growing up whenever I was younger, when you were watching on TV and stuff like that, and finding it very funny. Uh, Neil, did he have any um, hand in the music that was used in Monty Python? He did, actually, yeah. yeah. Um, he 
He was a regular collaborator. He was sometimes regarded as the seventh Python. Um, so he uh, wrote music for the third and fourth season mm-hmm. of Monty Python, and he also actually wrote some sketches for season four, which was just after John Cleese had left. Yeah, He's one of only two uh, people outside the six main members who was ever credited on screen with having written stuff for the TV show. Yeah, um, he, uh, The other one being Douglas Adams, who was perhaps more famous from Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, he had written some of the stuff for season four as well, and he also pops up from time to time. Yeah. He turned up, uh, he wrote stuff for a couple of the albums yeah. that they did, uh, and you will probably recognize him from Monty Python and the Holy Grail. He is the minstrel that accompanies Robin. Really? That's him? That's him. Wow. Bravely bold Sir Robin brought forth from Camelot. He was not afraid to die. Oh, brave Sir Robin. He was not at all so Eric Idle is, is Robin, yeah. Neil Innes plays the minstrel, yeah. um, and he writes some of the music. So he writes the Gregorian chant that the monks do. Yeah. <laughs> you know the one I'm yeah, talking about. Yeah, yeah with the boards. Yep. So he yeah. writes that, which instantly he did say, it was funny how that didn't actually then transfer to Spamalot. Yeah. And there was a whole feud with him and Eric Idle, which was this is a podcast to explain it itself yeah. uh, later on but yeah so he wrote some of the stuff for that he apparently wrote the music for Knights of the Round Table alright oh, okay yeah and well he's definitely very talented and like, he provided he the whistle- very talented man and the whistling bit in Always Looking the Bright Side of Life apparently yeah. is also Neil's alright oh, okay oh, it's Eric I think that gets the sole credit for that yeah Um. so yeah he, he, he did do stuff yeah uh, he was with Python and then him and Eric worked together quite closely yeah. for many many years yeah. um, they went off uh, Eric did a TV series called Rutland Weekend Television, right? which was basically a, basically a parody of a, a certain television network in London that only operated at weekends. Uh-huh. Rutland is the smallest county in all of England. Is, that, right. is this where the this Rolls t- kind of yeah. came from? So the yeah. Rolls actually, oh my gosh, I'm doing this a history with you now. Yeah. <laughs> this is interesting. Um, so originally, Neil had written a song, he'd written I Must, I Must Be In Love for Rutland Weekend Television. He used to provide all the music for the show. Yeah. Um, so he had written that Ladies for it. Ladies and gentlemen, that's up in the bill tonight. The Fab Four Rutland lads who've taken the country by storm are waggling their MBEs, the Rutters. <laughs> some point and this is where history is a little bit unclear mm-hmm. and i want to be fair to both parties in this um neil comes up with this idea of doing a parody of the beatles meanwhile eric idol comes up with this concept of parodying of, of doing a kind of a mockumentary basically a crap documentary right and uh they sort of are combining the different ideas and eric comes up with the name the rolls okay so it's eric's name um, and, and Eric's kind of concept of the documentary format. Yeah, it's Neil's idea to parody the Beatles and to do that, and he's the one who actually writes the music. And I think that's fairly well established. Yeah, that that's the balance of power. It is a co-creation. Mm-hmm. Um, legally, that's not always been recognised in that way, but that's a whole other <laughs> problem. Oh dear. Uh, yeah, it, it's not. It's not always a pleasant story. Um, so that's that's what actually happens. And that's a shame. Yeah. 
we'll, we'll talk a little bit about that yeah. uh, in a bit. Um, so that that's basically what happens. And then Eric Idle is doing, he's guest hosting for Saturday Night Live, the American TV show that, that I think most people know. And this, this is the golden era when people like uh, John Belushi and Dan Aykroyd and Bill Murray are working on that show. Yeah. So this is that's big how, names. How yeah, yeah. They get into... Yeah. The, so the at that point, there is conversation. This bear in mind, this is mid seventies. There is a big conversation going on about trying to reunite the Beatles, mm-hmm. and there is this whole plan to do this. Now Eric knows George Harrison. Actually, they, they all basically know each other anyway. But George Harrison has turned up in Rutland, Rutland Weekend Television a couple of times, right? And Eric is sort of going under the pretense that he can reunite um, the group. And I, from what I remember, the pretense was that on the show that they do do um they're not actually able to reunite the beatles instead they've got the ruttles there's a bit of a mix-up much much cheaper right um because they were looking for like the, the the amount of money that they were going to offer was tiny at the time for this reunion yeah um, and that's the whole joke is that they've got the ruttles and they play a bit that was taken from the london from the Rutland weekend television show uh-huh. and this was saturday night live um and saturday night live then this these these segments actually were really well received yeah and uh the proposition is made to make a film, to, to sort of stretch the sketches out and make the film. And this is when they have the combo of the two concepts of the mockumentary and the um, Beatles parody. Yeah. And that's what results in the roles. Yeah. Basically. That's cool. So Eric writes the sort of the storyline and the script. Does he have any hand in the music? No. Does he have any like musical playing ability? Yeah, Eric can play. Um, and Eric is a fairly decent singer-songwriter. Fall off the bloody chair. Um, so Eric is very accomplished as a musician. Uh, he wrote, along with a, a sort of collaborator, he wrote a lot of the Monty Python songs right, okay. himself. Yeah. Um, he also collaborated quite a bit with other people, and that produced the like Spamalot. Mm-hmm. So based on the that, Monty Python that's that thing, musical, yeah, yeah. But a lot of that Eric had written as well. Eric also is quite good at sort of stage managing. So whenever they did the reunion shows a few years ago, uh, Eric's the one that basically takes control of the whole project. Um, and he also used to do a lot of the editing with the books that came out. He was very much in control of all that stuff as well. Okay. But he does tend to work by himself yeah. a lot. Um, he also wrote things like the theme for One Foot in a Grave. Oh, right. Okay. That's Eric. Oh, right. He wrote that. He sings it. You know, so, I mean, he's perfectly, I mean, he's perfectly capable. Mm-hmm. But in the roles, Eric does not actually sing. Right. <laughs> so it gets really, really kind of quite confusing because you see Eric on screen. Yeah. Um, but so I take it that's all real, is it? Uh, what, the, some, the, some of them. The, the music's real, yeah. Oh no, no. no so the, the other band members, yeah. The other three you see are the three that are playing, right? So it's uh, Neil Innes, uh, John Halsey, and Ricky Fatar. Yeah, are the three that played the main the main roles. Yeah, and then uh, there was two other guys that would um, play additional music on the soundtrack. So Ollie Halsall is the one that basically plays and sings the Eric Idle bits. Right, okay. Um, Ollie died in 1992. Um, I've never been entirely sure why it is that Eric doesn't play on it. There is a suggestion that was made by some that Eric's ability was not as good as the others. And so he was discouraged from actually playing on the soundtrack. Right. I don't think there was ever the perception that this was going to be quite as big or as popular as it ended up being. Mm -hmm. Um, So Eric doesn't play, although you see him on screen. Yeah. Uh, Eric did at one point release one single with him and it was Ricky Fatar 
and they have one single where Eric basically plays the role's character and he actually sings. Afterwards, all right, okay. Um, and he's done it on stage once, I believe, as well. Yeah, right, just by one song once in in character as a role. Um, but for some reason, no, he doesn't play, which is is a bit of a shame. I always thought it was a bit of a shame. Um, in nineteen ninety six or ninety four in the nineteen nineties, whenever they they went and did the new project, the archaeology, and they reunited. By that point, Ollie had died. So actually, they were mirroring the way the Beatles did with their with their anthology project, in that there was a fourth member who was not there. John Lennon wasn't there when they did anthology. The rest of them got together. Um, they did the same thing. They basically got together, played over a few tracks that Ollie had actually recorded yeah. back in the seventies that yeah. were never used in the film. Yeah, Eric was asked to to participate. He was invited. Uh, Eric declined. Um, but he uh, does have credit on the sleeve as being creator of the roles. Right, okay. Which is, is, is true, but also slightly not true, slightly disingenuous, to be fair. Yeah. I mean, I love Eric Idle, um, but looking at it, I think, you know, it, it, it probably should have been a co-creator, you know, credit that was done that just wasn't for various legal reasons. Yeah. Um. So, yeah, so that's it. So Eric can play, but he doesn't play. Ah. Sure. So, yeah. Um. I don't think he can do the, the Paul McCartney impression. <laughs> something but i mean he he you know he he does act in the film yes uh, both as the the sort of the the narrator and also as the the paul mccartney substitute yeah obviously because me being a guitar player myself uh-huh. he's playing the way paul mccartney would play left-handed, uh, left-handed bass yeah. yeah you know so um I, I was trying to watch his hand to see if he's actually playing <laughs> the notes uh-huh. and to be fair have you ever tried playing your a, a left-handed guitar I, I struggle to play a, a regular guitar. Right, but you, you can't play a regular guitar, right? <laughs> Badly, yeah. Um, but if, if you've ever tried to play a left-handed, like if you can play a right-handed guitar, and if you ever go to play a left-handed guitar, you just feel like you can't do anything. Right. Um, so to me, uh, during the whole film, the mm. way anytime you see him play the bass, it's always left-handed. It looks actually fairly... Le- legit um well to me anyway it's like i i thought he was maybe actually playing the guitar you know the bass you got me wondering now if eric is left or right-handed and i cannot remember um might be quite interesting to find out definitely doesn't look like he's a stranger to that to, to playing um yeah no, eric's right-handed so yeah. that that's a feat in itself, mm-hmm. you know, to try and sort of portray that on screen, mm-hmm. like, and not feel like your hands are something on wrong, you know, <laughs> like you can't use them properly. Because uh-huh. like that's what happens anytime I've picked up a guitar. It's like I'm trying to go for a G chord or whatever, and I'm like, like this should work, but my fingers aren't. And then this hand, uh-huh. you have to use your left hand for the rhythm and. It's just all over the show. Yeah, I don't think I could do it. No. I don't think I would struggle. I mean, like, I haven't got the dexterity in quite the same way. Yeah. Um, yeah, strange. Um, no, it, the guys that do play are all very, very accomplished musicians. They have all been playing in bands 
forever. Yeah. And Ricky, um, John and Neil up until a few weeks ago were still playing yeah. on a regular basis. Yeah. I mean, the Ruttles as a concept never completely went away. Yeah. Um, so you're kind of familiar with the Beatles itself. Were you familiar with the imagery? Um, y- yes. Yes. Um, I did see, like, obviously I've seen... You know, I know there was a phase of everyone in suits, mm-hmm. you know, this whole rock and roll kind of, yeah. you know. The prim and proper nice boys with the tight yeah, trousers. Tight trousers and the, and the uh, you know, bowl cuts, uh-huh. hairstyles and all that stuff. And then when the 70s came about, or, or 60s or whatever, you know, mm-hmm. peace and love and tea. drugs and LSD, or sorry, tea. tea. Um, <laughs> then there was this whole total image with like flared trousers and colorful shirts and mm-hmm. you know long hair you mm-hmm. know big round glasses like john john lennon's sort of famous so when you're watching it i mean for you you, you are saying that this is stuff that looks like yeah it's the beatles yeah even you can like like yeah hands down the the work that neil did musically mm-hmm. on on that Rattle sing. Um, I don't know how much of it was actually, you know, his contribution. Mm-hmm. But whenever it's been rearranged, obviously you can tell there's certain songs that he's parrying. Mm-hmm. Like um, when you're you're listening to it and you're like, oh, I recognize that. Mm-hmm. You know, you could nearly sing a Beatles song over the top of it, mm-hmm. and it would fit. But there's some notes that that are like, oh wait, oh right, okay, right. I can see how he got away with that and. We only slightly got away with it. Yeah. Uh, so this is one of the big problems that there was with the project was that. So after they did the film, um, they then released it as an album. Yeah. And uh, one of the bits of advice that was given was apparently they needed to be a little bit careful about how close it was, and particularly the song Get Up and Go, yeah, which sounds incredibly like Get Back. Um, it was the one thing that George Harrison said, that's maybe a little bit too close, Paul will too. Yeah. <laughs> So what Neil says that he, Neil always said that um, he didn't listen back to the Beatles stuff whenever he's preparing the songs. Mm-hmm. It was what he could remember. Yeah. And then obviously he's crafting his own lyrics and stuff as well. So it's, it's, it's sort of infused by it and that knowledge and that memory. Yeah. But it's not, I'm just lifting the song. It's not quite, I mean, Weird Al, I'm sure whenever he's doing his parodies, yeah. goes back, listens to them. But most of the time because he's using the same music. Yeah. When you listen to these songs, they sound like, but they're not. They're not like, like yeah. they're actually quite different. Yeah. Um. So uh, they they did this stuff, and then there was a court case, right? So ATV, who were the publishers of the Beatles catalog at that point, uh-huh. um, basically sued, and they said that you you're taking the stuff and you you can't, and it was eventually settled, I believe, out of court, 
and John Lennon and Paul McCartney's credits got added onto Neil's from that point onwards, and they basically took all the royalties. So Neil got completely screwed over that. Wow. Yeah. I mean, it happens quite a lot, and the rules on parody have changed since the 70s, hence Weird Al is able to get away with everything. Yeah. Um, and it wasn't that the Beatles weren't aware of the project. They were actually asked for permission. Yeah, was this okay? And mm. then they went and screwed them over. Well, anyway. I don't necessarily know it was the Beatles that screwed them over, but the no. publishing company certainly did. Right. And, and Neil got well and truly shafted with it. You know, he didn't make the money that he should have done yeah. from those publishing rights. Yeah. Um, and I think, well, I think it's sort of been resolved and, and Neil's name actually is the only one that appears on most of the releases now. Yeah. Um, it's the same when you listen to the Archaeology Project. There's a lot of very, very close beatles influence stuff on there but it's different in fact the archaeology is even more different than than the rolls soundtrack album was yeah um so it was complicated it was difficult and it meant that that relationship that that they had with that music was was very very odd and, and neil basically abandoned it for about what, 15 years uh -huh. in the 1990s he got asked to do um a series of beatles fan events mm -hmm. and he came along as a guest because he'd worked with the beatles yeah um, the Bonzo Dog Doodah Band actually appear in Magical Mystery Tour. Right. So I don't know if you've ever seen no, Magical I've Mystery Tour. No, I've never seen that. It's a weird, trippy film. Um, and it didn't go very well at the box office at the time. It's one that the Beatles made, basically. Is, is that how, in the Ruttles thing, they were saying about, you know, the Ruttles only had one place to conquer, and that was film or something like that? Um, and then they made out the, these movies and in near the end their last movie or something was terrible flop the tragical history tour i think yeah, it is yeah. Yeah, yeah yeah and they have the bus and it disappears you know, that's the it. professors so that's parroting completely the magical mystery tour but it's also quite ironic because neil was actually in magical mystery tour right um so there is the i mean the, this is the thing i love about this film is actually when you start looking at it, there are layers and layers of, of different levels so um, the, the Bonzos appeared in Magical Mystery Tour in 1967. Mm -hmm. They do the song Death Cab for Cutie. Yeah, I, I was listening to that today. Okay, which is also the name of a band these days. Yes, yeah. Um, so it's just going to show the influence. Uh, so they appear in that. Let my cutie call a cab. She left her east side drum so drab. Went out on the uh, and the band other than Beatles actually appear in that film, so that's that's a nice bit of recognition. Mm -hmm. In 1968, Paul McCartney produces the song uh, "I'm the Urban Spaceman" for yeah. the Bonzos yeah. under a, an assumed name, uh, as part and parcel of that, just so that the, the song would actually receive its airplay based on its own merit, not because Paul McCartney was part of it. Yeah. Um. So they, again, they work with them there. Um. George Harrison was mates with Neil and, and Eric, and they kind of knew each other quite well and worked together as well. So there is this sort of, and George is one of the people who was behind handmade films who ended up uh, funding several of the Monty Python films. All oh, right, okay. So, so they're it, all connected. It's all very, yeah. very deeply connected. Yeah. Um, so that 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 parody is is very, very, very close. Now the films that, that the Beatles did, uh, Help, A Hard Day's Night, and Magical Mystery Tour. I didn't even know they did movies. Like, they did. Yeah, that <laughs> sounds bizarre to me. Uh, Dick Lester directed uh, at least one of them, and Dick Lester had also directed uh, The Goons for their TV show. Ah. Uh, for Spike Milligan and Peter Sellers in a show called Fred. Yeah. So there is a kind of weird, madcap, zany, surreal level of humour that these guys are all very heavily influenced yeah. by. Did um, 
Because that, that was a thought that had crossed my mind whenever I was listening to one of the Bonzo Dog Dita Band's songs mm -hmm. there today before you came around. Yeah. So one came on, um, I can't remember what it's called, but it's it's the one where it's all, it's all quite bizarre and nuts. It's like orchestral and there's like a drum solo and all in it and there's like a weird oboe solo that's like the guy plays like two notes for forever and... I think it was that one, like, because um, it was listening to that, and it just got like a what a goon, like, a goon show, a goon show yeah. like memory. Yeah. Like, um, well, the Pythons always talked about the goons as being a massive influence, in particular Spike Milligan, mm -hmm. um, and any actor I think of that generation looked to someone like Peter Sellers as being, you know, not only a great comic yeah. but also a fantastic performer. Yeah. Um, the Beatles were fans as well. I mean, it's not yeah. not a, a surprise. Uh, that Hitler thing seems to come up quite a bit. Hitler? Like, mm -hmm. you know, the way in the Ruddles movie, you've got John, well, uh, what did they call him? Um, nasty. Yes. His his wife. Yeah, is clearly a Nazi. Is, a, you know, a Hitler, some kind of Hitler youth, kind of Nazi chick. And um, and then, you, you know, you look at the Bonzo Dog Dada band and then it's like Hitler on vibes, you know. It's it's a weird concept, this idea that you could mock something that was so outrageous and atrocious. Um, yeah. It, there's a film that's just hitting cinemas as we record this called Jojo Rabbit, uh -huh. um, which is about a little boy in sort of during the Second World War whose imaginary friend is Hitler. Yeah. Um, it's very unusual for a film now to be made that, that kind of yeah. Because I was going to say like that kind of humor, like there there are people recently of recent times yeah. that have made those kind of jokes. Um, like take you know like YouTubers or mm. like that. that or, there's one I recently got well not recently but a while ago got in trouble for some stuff that uh, he got other people to do and put it in his video. I mean, uh -huh. It's clearly supposed to be a joke. But obviously, times have changed, and things that were perceived as funny, some people like take offence now to it's, something that is clearly still supposed to be a joke, and you shouldn't take it seriously. But yeah. it's it's very difficult to know where to sit with within humour. Um, I, I think it's something that we're we're going to talk about on a, on a future edition of the show as well. Is, is to talk about sort of offensive comedy and where those lines actually lie. Yeah, um, Rachel keeps on. We should not have been talking about this for doing this for a while. Well, like you take comedians like uh, what, what was it called, Frankie Frankie Boyle. Frankie Boyle, mm -hmm. like he just goes out of his way to completely say upsetting things. But there's a difference between someone who's who's doing that, that's trying to upset you, and somebody who's who's maybe making jokes about stuff that maybe seems somewhat inappropriate. So, in the aftermath of the Second World War, mm -hmm. a lot of these guys were kids. Yeah. Whenever the war was happening. Yeah. Um, some of them, you know, the generation of the goons were actually out there fighting in the first place. Yeah. I think it's a way of combating those atrocities is to laugh about it. Mm -hmm. You know, ultimately Hitler is a, you know, most of these guys are using Hitler as, a, as an object of fun. They're ridiculing that, that image yeah. that he had. And obviously you see um, nowadays, I can see why maybe that stuff like that is a bit distasteful because of this whole 
you know, uh, sort of white supremacist kind of mentality. Absolutely. And it, but if you look at Trey Parker, yeah. uh, and you look at what they do with um, South, Park. Like South Park and Teen America, yeah. you know, where they are taking the likes of Kim Jong-un, uh, and they're taking Kim Jong and they're taking uh, Saddam Hussein mm -hmm. and they're using them as objects of fun in just the same way that these guys are using Hitler. Yeah. Um, it's. But they, they don't just stop at one thing. They, they, oh, no. Whoever you are, whatever you believe in, they're there to tear it down and make fun of it. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, it's just whether, you know, obviously this whole, you know, PC mm -hmm. political correctness generation that now has seemed to take you know prevalence you have to be really careful what you say how you say it and who you say it to you know it can land you in real big shit uh, I think I think I suppose my problem with, I think that's a show on its own right is, is actually to have that conversation mm -hmm. um, and it's 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 difficult but it's also something you have to look at in the context of the time that this stuff is actually being made yeah so when we're talking there uh, just to, to backtrack again so we're talking about like John Lennon who was a fan of, of, of the goons they were working with the same people I mean both the Beatles and the goons worked with Dick Lester yeah the, the film director um, they were also working with George Martin so George Martin, who is the Beatles producer, produces all Peter Sellers records. And Peter Sellers had a small, you know, had a bit of a brief musical career, um, including a, a wonderful Shakespearean version of A Hard Day's Night. Yeah. It's been a hard day's night. I've been working like a dog. <laughs> it's been a hard day's night. I should be sleeping like a log. But when I get home to you, I find the things that you do will make me feel... All right. So there is this sort of combined creative, uh, you know, there's, there's, a, there's a creative collective yeah. that are working on all these things. This influence is being felt from one group into the other. Yeah. And that, that definitely filters through into the roles, mm -hmm. um, both in terms of the script writing and, and, and sort of the musical uh, elements of it. Yeah. Uh, the music, I think, is very affectionate. Yeah. I don't think they're really massively taking the piss out of the Beatles. No, no, no. I would say it's it's very sort of it's very complimentary. Mm -hmm. Like Ringo apparently found it quite difficult yeah. to watch, particularly the later stuff when they're falling apart, because that's what we know happened to the Beatles. Yeah, um, they all got married and they all hated each other. <laughs> you know, people weren't saying nice things about Yoko Ono. Yeah, um, or Linda McCartney. They were being pretty horrible. Have you ever heard of, heard any of Yokono's musical? She's. Uh, we did briefly follow each other on Twitter some years ago. Uh, she's not my uh, favorite. Shall I put it <laughs> diplomatically? I've I've seen. Um, there's a guy I watch called uh, Stevie T. Mm -hmm. um, he's a guitar player, okay. and he has come across some Yoko Ono performances. Mm -hmm. Uh, let's just say you might have to be completely off your rocker <laughs> to go to one of those things. It's very, it's very artsy. But like Yoko was an artist. I mean, she wasn't a you know singer songwriter. She was into art and performance art and this yeah. big gallery it's, kind of provoking it's stuff. Definitely that. It's interesting, mm. but it's completely bonkers at the same time. Mm. Um, but yeah, this is just a wee side. So, no, no, no. Yeah. I, I, and I think that comes through in, in what the roles do in terms of how it breaks up. And ultimately, I suppose it's weird how the, the real life situation of the roles has kind of slightly mirrored the the, the the disputes that went on within the Beatles. So 
see the way they they did that whole uh, obviously this Ruddles thing was it made after the Beatles had broken up? Yeah. So Ruddles was so so, so since we were talking about uh, mm-hmm. Yoko, no, who yeah. was John Lennon's yeah other half, mm-hmm. and obviously you've got your man Nasty, he's parroting John Lennon, mm-hmm. and then having a Nazi. Mm-hmm. As his other half, like what's what's the deal <laughs> there? Like that's that's just seems a bit a bit cruel. A bit cruel, yeah. Well, Yoko's Japanese, um, and I suppose the Japanese were aligned with the Germans during, uh, right. during, during the the Second World War. If you want to take it very very deliberately, yeah. very very obvious. Uh, I think this is where Ringo's probably quite right. Is that that stuff did hit the nail on the head? And what they're, what they're not doing is they're not really so much parroting. Um, they're not really critiquing. The actual Beatles story, which is fairly straightforward, is played fairly straight in this. Yeah, what they're doing is is, is sort of having a comment on the um, the media furore that hit up around it, the fandom, and the way that they interacted. Yeah, and that comes across with with the likes the way the wives are presented. Mm-hmm. So I mean, you know, you've got that that element of the sort of the Yoko there, but then you've also got. Um, there are other elements within the other wives as well and, and, and the way that they all separate themselves off. Like George Harrison went disappeared off to, to India for a long time. Yeah. Um, which I think is sort of the Barry One one where he goes off and And they he, think he's dead. Yeah. That, he he goes off to hope, you know. Yeah. Uh, you know, I'm living in hope. Yeah. Um which actually having seen Barry play that is, is fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> um there th- there is a lot of commentary going on. Mm. Um and it was that media for that, that kind of, in many ways, destroyed the Beatles. I yeah. think you know they got to the point where they couldn't play live, yeah, because the fans were too bad, because the intrusion was too bad, and they became a band that ultimately just recorded in studio. Yeah, and it's amazing to think that they had that influence. Right, so you're saying, like, whenever they were performing, they had like, just they were getting stormed on stage and stuff like that is that what you were saying or? a little bit yeah i mean it just became un, unwieldy for them yeah. um it became a problem and also i think because they were slightly fracturing they find it quite draining yeah uh, you, you you're a musician yeah i've been in bands yeah <laughs> I've, I've, yeah you've been in a few bands you've played live a lot yeah. yeah um you know that there's a sort of need to play live to get to an audience but also yeah. there's a lot of stress and frustration with that oh there's a heck of a lot obviously i have no idea what kind of stress that they went under with mm. the crowds that they played to but even the tiny numbers that i've ever played to mm. it has been incredibly stressful you even look at our i mean so when we do our live events at cinebunked mm-hmm. um I mean, I'm not bitching about what we do at all. Yeah. But there's a very different sort of uh, stress that's put on us whenever we're in here in studio chatting, however many of us it is, uh, there's a to de- when we're in front of a live audience. Yeah, there's definitely a completely different dynamic. And that that's quite... I mean, I can see the strain in that. What what I find amazing is that the Beatles are able to, to go beyond that and actually survive without having to go live, live yeah. which is how groups today make their money. Yeah. They are dependent on being a live act. Well, on that note, well, that's only if you're very lucky, mm-hmm. right? You can make a living performing. Mm-hmm. Um, even now, because the way uh, sort of music is, music is everywhere. It's so easy, easily acceptable. Everyone has a computer. Mm. Everyone's recording their stuff. Everyone's releasing it. And now there's just so much of it, I think, like... You know, at the time when the Beatles were mm. about, like, there wasn't as much choice, yeah, as there is now. 
mm. because everyone is and sort of when a band comes out and tries to do something they have to be completely next level to actually even be noticed mm. and then even doing gigs like any gigs that i did i made shit all money <laughs> you know what i mean yeah. uh, you have to be playing to huge crowds have a huge following and an, that's the hardest thing is breaking through you, there's so much stuff like you need to play like the the social media game you need to to have a video out and for it to do well and you know something like like we've talked before about um what do you call that uh, uh that band that do those crazy music videos oh okay go okay go yeah, yeah. like them mm -hmm. and you take a video or something like that like that their videos are what you could you could nearly consider like almost viral because of how bizarre they are oh, they are yeah and how fantastical they are yeah um you know bands nowadays like just because there's so much choice and every band is doing the same thing mm -hmm. there's no new uh look from it like it, it's really hard for mm -hmm. a band to actually make money gigging and selling selling their stuff mm -hmm. especially with the whole like you know people copying streaming music as well mm -hmm. bands don't make money off off streaming um like you could have a million plays on spotify mm -hmm. and that probably equates to i don't know something like 100 hundred dollars or something crazy like that yeah I have, a, I have a couple of their friends who are very much in the business and um you know they they're they get a decent <clears throat> amount of hits but yeah. my gosh the money they get is not no not not supportable no it's definitely not that i think you're incredibly lucky if you get to a position where you're able to make a living yeah and those guys grew up in a time where they were just right place, right time. Yeah, they knew the right people, and they got incredibly famous. Well, it was the trousers, and the, the definitely the, the trousers, extremely tight trousers. <laughs> definitely, <laughs> I mean Neil himself. You could see everything. <laughs> the outline and all. <laughs> I mean Neil was obviously a very very accomplished musician. And yeah, he was in a lot of bands himself, but he yeah. never really stopped working, uh, and he seemed to have a run of bad luck. I mean, part of the problem was the Beatles, the the, the Beatles catalog problem that they had ultimately resulted in him sort of moving away from this sort of music for a number of years mm -hmm. um he kids tv was something he never meant to get into but that was it worked out for him you know yeah. he could make a living doing it for for yeah. a decade yeah um but i mean he was still performing up until a few months ago mm -hmm. uh, there was a plan that there was meant to be a big bonzo dog good band reunion concert in a couple of months yeah they've had massive problems in terms of the bonzos in terms of their name and there's a whole legal issue about that that's only just getting resolved um somebody else basically claimed their name as a trademark even though it was theirs has been there since the 60s really yeah previous management you can get the details on their website holy moly um it's been a pretty horrible story and then neil last year uh produced a new album yeah um they managed to raise the twenty six thousand pounds whatever it was through pledge and uh, then Pledge went under, and basically all the money was lost. They received about three grand. Uh, th this is on was on Neil's website as well, so it's, it's uh, not a total shock. The album was nearly really. Um, they they managed to receive about three grand from Pledge, but the other twenty three grand they never received. 
and uh, they basically put out to the, the you know the customers like if you can get your stuff back from your credit card company do it that way yeah. we actually can't do it they've stolen this money yeah. so then I had to do a second fundraiser to try and get the money to actually get the stuff that they had promised as part of the pledge out to people wow. um, so he's had a really really shit run of, of things in terms of what he does and this is so frustrating and probably so typical of many people within the industry there's a lot of art there there's a lot of talent a lot of ability yeah and yet not able to get to the point to deliver the product that you want to deliver and i mean i know this is now going off on a completely slightly different tangent this is more about neil than it is about the roles yeah um but this is the reality of the situation i think this is a good opportunity to talk about the music business this is a mm-hmm. good opportunity to talk about actually as artists yeah um what any one of us who creates or performs goes through in yeah. order to try and get our stuff out there to get heard and to find an audience and to connect i definitely think from a musician's uh point of view doing doing gigs you think of how much time mm. a musician puts in to their craft mm-hmm. so Many, many hours of practice. Whenever you do a gig, you might get, well, anytime I've done a gig, it's like, oh, here's here's 100 quid. Mm-hmm. But you break that down to how many practices you've had to do mm-hmm. before getting said gig. Um, your your time out of work mm-hmm. to travel to the gig. Yeah. Um, sit around, uh, sound check, then sit around for more hours. And then play for an hour and then go home. Also paying for petrol, you know, transportation, not on top of your equipment as well. Uh-huh. And you break that down, you're getting zero, like, back. I think um, the industry nowadays kind of takes the advantage of uh, performers and musicians I don't even think that's exclusively to now. Um, there's there's a couple of Bonzo songs, actually, where they, they do talk about the difficulties of being out in the road. There was one that came out on the last album they did, the Pour Le Monde uh-huh. Um And there's a song there about being basically being out in the road, about the shitty conditions that you get. Um, the Kinks, for example, um, we talk about it at length. Yeah. Um, because their experience of the music industry of the publishing rights is a song called the the, the money go round mm-hmm. which is basically about how your percentage of 100 percent just gets narrowed down and down and down so you're lucky if you're getting a penny yeah out of you know a, a quid because everyone's taking their slice of it yeah. you're the one ultimately that's actually doing the work yeah it's, it's your it, creative it, endeavors it, that are funding everybody else's lifestyles yeah and you have the tiniest percentage yeah it's all weighted completely wrong yeah that's 40 years ago yeah 50 years ago it's no different today yeah um you know we're at a time when certainly in in sort of northern Ireland in particular where where we're where we're based mm-hmm. arts funding is being cut left right and center yeah so ultimately there's not the money there to fund the stuff that's funded that again and and getting people out is Impossible. also uh hard thing to do you but then know. we also live in a country that's got quite a small population density yeah. i mean yeah. if this was you know if we were based on ourselves in any of the big cities uh, you know it might be a very different situation it might be but i don't i'm not too convinced on no not really because when i've been to gigs and stuff yeah. elsewhere yeah you've still got a lot of the same problems that yeah. there and there's yeah. so many people who are struggling to make ends meet yeah this is a very very down kind of way of looking at it. so let's, let's get back into the um, fun and the, yeah the film yeah. itself which yeah. is, is actually a lot of fun yeah um 
so we were talking a little bit before the show about some of the influences that you can see from the Rottles on other things. Yeah. The most so, obvious one is <laughs> Spinal Tap. Obviously, um, if any of you have seen that, it's about a band trying to. It's like it's like a a, a rockumentary. Yeah. Um, of this band Spinal Tap, and you can see massive influences because I'd I'd never seen the Ruddles uh-huh. film. I'd only seen the Spinal Tap film. Um, even like I've never seen you know the Bad News. I've, I've ne- never seen. So you've never seen Bad News either, which no. I'll, I'll have to get a copy over to you. Yeah. Because it's, I mean, it's, I think Bad News was taking a lift from Spinal Tap. Yeah. Uh, so Bad News is the one that was produced by the comic strip that's Rick and Aid, uh, Rick Mealy, Aaron Edmondson and uh, Nigel Planer. Yeah. Uh, so they're, they're taking their nod from, from Spinal Tap, but I think mm. both are also taking a nod from The Rolls, yeah. which is a mockumentary. Yeah. You know, so it's basically a, it's designed like a documentary, but it's 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 taking the piss a little bit. It's, yeah. It's, it's not real. Yeah. Um. Even the, the the music from Spinal Tap as well, like it's... Well, this is the weird thing because in both instances you have, in, in Spinal Tap, actually with Bad News as well and also with the Rolls, yeah. you have a group that exists for the purpose of a film. Yeah. They ultimately release a record yeah. and actually become an actual band. Yeah. Which is a very, very, very strange situation to be in, that, that you have this thing that is a fiction that then becomes a reality. So where does the line... Really draw that line between the fiction and the reality. Yeah, it's very hard. It definitely becomes very blurred. Yeah, but, do you take the real history or do you take the the fictional? Is this just being the biography? Uh, I think you have to take the real history. Uh-huh. When whenever you're looking at that, obviously, whenever they go and create music and release it. Yeah. Um, yes, they've become a band, but then again, it's a classic case of are the actors on screen actually playing the instruments? And yeah. writing the music in Spinal Tap, yes. In Bad News, yes. Yeah. So there you go. Then you Bad know, News is it's actually a shot. Of they Bad cr- News. They went to a festival. Yeah. They appeared at a festival and they properly got pelted. Did Spinal Tap not? I think Spinal Tap have done and they do do. Spinal yeah. Tap still perform. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, there is that 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 lovely fusion of of, of sort of what is real and what is not real, and as, as yeah. film. I mean, films, I think, is particularly adept at doing this. Yeah. It's a great medium where we basically spend our lives looking at a controlled fiction mm-hmm. and imagining it to be a real thing. And this is the stuff where they actually have blended the two together. Yeah. Definitely going beyond the the walls. Of the two, is the one you prefer? Do you prefer the spinal taps or the rolls? You can say what you actually feel. You don't feel pushed. To be honest, I don't think I prefer one over the other. I think they're both equally, like they have their own their own merit. Uh-huh. Um, I did enjoy watching the Rattles. Uh-huh. I, I have enjoyed uh, watching Spinal Tap, and there's definitely some great moments that happen in in Spinal Tap. Uh-huh. You know, very quotable. <laughs> Quotable sayings from that movie, like, you know, but mine goes up to 11. You know, talking about his martial amp, uh-huh. why not make 10 lighter? <laughs> but mine goes so. up to 11, you know? Yeah. Um, that very, very quotable, obviously, me being, you know, playing guitar and stuff like that, you know, that's, that's extremely funny uh-huh. to me. Uh-huh. And then, you know, about the drummer always, you know, spontaneously combusting. And, yeah. You know, um, me being a drummer as well, you know, it's 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 funny. Uh-huh. Um, musical, the musical uh, aspect of, of Spinal Tap as well, I find hilarious. Especially that was is it Big Bottoms? Yes, it's all played on basses, right? 
Okay. I'm pretty sure, like, uh, you watch them playing. They're all playing a bass guitar. Okay. And, you know, his bass is fat and round and like a, like a bottom, you know? This is something I've never appreciated about that film before. <laughs> yeah. So, like, oh, I think if memory serves right, whenever I was watching it, that's, you know, what I picked up on. So, um, big bottom talk about mud flaps, my girl's got them. Yeah. Right? Yeah. 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 Exactly. That's it. I haven't that's done the that for a long time. Yeah. Um, no, like, yeah, you can, you can definitely see the, the influences from, mm. from the Ruddles on Spinal Tap because mm. they've been like, that was genius, right? You know what we'll do? We'll do this, but we'll do it with this type of music. You know, and you can see, like, it's of an era, you know, what, 80s or whatever, when metal, mm. you know, he heavy metal and, and sort of hard rock really took off. And, you know, that whole glam scene, yeah, you know, um, that was massive, you know, like Metallica and stuff like that, filling arenas mm. of people. It's kind of the same, the same thing, you know. Same concept, different era. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but you know, you can see where the influences come from. I guess it's that proximity as well. When you have something that's parodying something that that is in recent memory, yeah. it's not. I mean, if you do a Beatles parody now, it's so more knowing mm -hmm. because it's nearly fifty years since they split. Yeah, um, which is a scary prospect in itself. Yeah. Um, so just wait until they do the Snow Patrol parody, you know, or something like oh that. God. <laughs> you know, you know it's, it's, something of this year, like maybe next, you know, next year they'll do something of mm. a band that's taken off and gone somewhere. Yeah, and they'll do something funny with it, and that might be enjoyable. It might not, but it, it's an interesting concept. But I guess it's it's stuff that's just lingering just in the memory. It seems slightly out of date, but not so out of date. That yeah, it's, it's it's though that's the thing. See, because the way comedy has changed so much, mm -hmm. um. I'm trying to think, you know, because comedy at that time, even if you look at um, Spinal Tap or anything like that, mm. the comedy in that is very uh, different to maybe something you'd see in a film nowadays. Mm. This, this is one of those points where I feel we should be bringing in our friend Robert Ross to talk about yeah, this stuff. Um, yeah. It's... I guess everything evolves, but that other stuff doesn't necessarily lose its relevance. I mean, yeah. we've been talking about the Goon Show, yeah. something that you and I both still find hilarious. Oh yeah, I love the Goons. Even though this is like wartime humor, really. Yeah, yeah. Um, but um, I, I don't think there's anybody I know. Um, my fondness for the Goons is solely due to you. Hmm. Um, but that can't be that because it's it, it's it's fair enough me introducing you to something as a concept. Yeah. But then ultimately you have to connect with the material. Yeah. And there is something for me about that material that that works that is always stuck in my head. Yeah. Um, the same with Python. I mean, there was a point where I just encountered it and it just made sense. Mm -hmm. um, other stuff I'm not bothered with. Yeah. And it's of a similar era. Yeah. So, um, uh, you know, whether it's the time that we approach this stuff or wherever we are in our lives, or I think, you know, some of the stuff is genuinely timeless. I think in a way, because it's a parody of a particular era. Yeah. The roles actually still works. It's 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 talking about something that we know. Jay Cox. Yeah. Did you ever see Jay Cox? No. Walk hard. No. Uh, the uh, walk hard. The Jay Cox story. Um, no. with uh, John C. Riley. No. It's a parody of the Johnny Cash story. All oh, right. But it's because it's parodying something that we know, and it wasn't that long after the Cash film came out. Mm -hmm. Um, the beats we're all very very familiar with. We can see what it's taking on, but also it's taking a body of of, of music that we know very very well mm -hmm. as well as a genre of films that we know very well the biopic yeah 
and it can then um, take that and twist it and, and still be very, very relevant. Yeah. Because nothing that it's doing isn't something we don't get. Yeah. We do still get all those reference points. Yeah. Regardless of whether it's Johnny Cash or the Beatles or, you know, whoever. Mm-hmm. Mm. So I, I think it could still be done, but I think it's something that you do retrospectively. Yeah. When you have that ability to look back. Yeah. You nearly need to be at the end. Yeah. Of a massive artist or band's yeah. career to sort of maybe poke fun of and, you know. For get, legal reasons and nothing else. Yeah. I mean, it's very hard to parody the Rolling Stones probably yeah. because they're still at it. Yeah. And you feel in some way you may cause, uh, you know, legal ructions, even though there's plenty there that, that people will, will talk about and yeah. will, will do to a certain extent. Yeah. Um, when something's a viable ongoing concern, like Eminem mm-hmm. um, probably isn't ready for the parody. No. Properly, no. But you could now do George Michael. Yeah. You could do Michael Jackson. Yeah. You know. Would you want to do Michael Jackson? Prince. You know, any of those people, any of those artists who are gone. Yeah. Become so much more um, accessible. Yeah. Would you want to do them? I, th- I, th- I think it'd be interesting to see where they would go. I mean, the thing could you? Do, I mean, for some people, Michael Jackson is a figure that, that is still loved. Yeah. Although there's also those of us who find his career and his the, the allegations deeply problematic. Yeah. But though, but, like you look at, uh, like, say, uh, I don't know if you ever watched Bo Selecta. Yeah. Um, you, David. Yeah, yeah. You know, you got him taking taking the piss out of Craig David and Michael Jackson, Michael Jackson and yeah and back when Michael was still alive yeah 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 you know so it it is possible it's an interesting kind of world to, to open up um the, the idea of the parody and the, and the mockumentary and, and yeah. just to sort of make it seem seem real I think what Spinal Tap does what the Rolls does um is it opens it up in a way that it actually seems more real mm. Like yeah. completely real, yeah. Um, that you could almost believe that these are the things you are actually watching. That some of those moments are them in the rat keller, mm. you know, with all the original rats, yeah. or, or you know, uh, the John Lennon figure sitting in the bath, yeah, with the shower on, <laughs> yeah. So the, the 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 comment on the the, the bed piece loving that they did, um, you know, the 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 sort of the uh, the moment that they did, um, doing the end of. It's the end of Magic Monster the All You Need Is Love bit where they're, they're, they're kind of parodying um, down big masquerade of people singing songs which they then parodied again yeah. with archaeology with the song Shangri-La I mean there is this multiple layers of texturing that, that's going on yeah but i think for me it's, it's, it's it, there is this wonderful fusion of those two talents together they make that film yeah it's really clever like i love the soundtrack yeah i listen to the soundtrack um fairly regularly let's be honest uh, and it's brilliant yeah but also watching the film there's another level there because you the, the soundtrack is very very clever it's very very cute um it's very affectionate mm-hmm. it also it, it helps tell the the story yeah and even set uh, the area as well, you know, mm-hmm. what, like, pre, pre-hippies pre to, you know... The post-Sergeant Pepper, post-T yeah, era. Yeah, yeah, yeah. you know. Um, Sergeant Rudder's only darts club band, I believe. It, yeah. Yeah. Um, but I think it takes Eric's 
sort of uh, structure and narration as well mm-hmm. to, to kind of make, really make it its own. Yeah. One of the things we haven't talked about, and I, I don't want to bang on about this film all day, um, but actually is the, the co-stars that are in this. Yeah, there's so many. <laughs> it's a cacophony of uh, yeah. famous faces. Yeah. How does that work for you? Did you recognize them yeah. all? Well, I got um, Mick Jagger, uh-huh. right? And then you were, your man... Uh, um, I'm assuming we're talking about Paul Simon here. Yes. Yes. Yeah. You can call me Al. Yeah, that's it. Um, uh, your man from Ghostbusters. There are two in this. Um, well, there's Bill... Yeah, I know that. There's Bill, Bill Murray. Bill the K. Murray. <laughs> right. And then there's the other guy. Dan who, Accord. Yeah, Dan Accord. Yeah. yeah. Um, am I missing anybody else? Uh, yep, John, John Belushi, who's uh, rather, he's sort of the thug appears in it. Um, you've got uh, Bianca Jagger, who's Mick Jagger's missus, crops up. Yeah. George Harrison right. is, is in the film. So and there's an actual Beatle in the film. Okay. Did you realize no, that? No, no. No. Okay. So do you remember the sequence where they're taking everything out of Apple Core? Yes. Uh, not Apple Core. What is it they call it in this R- one? Ruddle. Ruddle Core. Cor- Ruddle Corp or something like yeah. that. So, it's, so it's, it was a pun. The, the Beatles one was Apple Core. Um, and basically Apple at the time were losing money left, right and center. Yeah. That, that bit was true. Yeah. It was like people were just stealing it from it, which is why in this we were all, they are literally stealing it out of the house. And yeah. They even steal the mic off. Yeah. Uh, Michael Palin from Monty Python. Right. Being interviewed. Yeah. He's, he's, he, so he's, he's there. But the guy doing the interview with the beard. Ah, it's George Harrison. All oh, right, okay. So, um, yeah, so you have an actual Beatle as part of the project, wow. um, which just goes to show you how much, uh, you know, endorsement there was. Yeah. This was not something that was being left out completely negatively. They were yeah. kind of on side. Yeah, I don't know. Well, maybe for certain individuals, like, you, they they could have taken mm-hmm. it negatively. Neg- negatively. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, obviously... With how things went mm. with certain uh, certain folk, um, but being sort of disconnected from all that and just being you know a bystander watching mm-hmm. this movie, um, like I think it's like it's super fun, you know. But there's not, I well, personally I didn't get uh, like a you know like a real big. Mm-hmm. knife in the back kind of moment you know like we're poking you know haha yeah look at this stupid thing that he's did you know but it's it's all very light-hearted and very you know um above board it's not below the belt if you know mm-hmm. the comedy and mm-hmm. you know well that's just my take on it there's uh as mentioned gildna radner also appears in this one she is She's a lady who gets stopped by Eric Idle in the street. Oh, right, and, and then slapped, and then, I don't know anything about the Ruddles. <laughs> yeah, she's like, I've never heard of him. And he slaps her, which is itself quite a violent act, yeah. which doesn't seem very appropriate or, or okay, yeah. but it almost triggers her into this rote learning of the, the Ruddles' history. Yeah, which is basically what, was that not what Eric was saying at it's the start? Be, yeah, it's basically he's, he's yeah. just doing exactly what he did, a part of history, and it's like everyone knows, which I think actually is quite clever in a way, it's like everyone knows the story yeah. of the Ruddles. They yeah. might pretend that they don't, but they do. Just yeah. the same as everyone knows the story of the Beatles, even if they say, I'm not really into the Beatles. Yeah. I don't know anything about them. But they go probably all hum yesterday. Yeah. Uh, you know, they all know the, the words for a hard day's night. They can all kind of tell you basically what happened to them, or certainly you could at that point. They were the biggest band in the world at that point. Mm-hmm. But Gildner Radner, I mentioned because later on she was married to Gene Wilder, who we talked about very recently. 
on our Willy Wonka show. All right, okay. Just wow. Trying to see over the course of this, I'm just trying to put all these little links. In yeah, here. yeah. <laughs> uh, I can see the starting to see the journey here. There's always a journey yeah. that we're on. We don't know how we're going to get there, but we're going to go on it. Yeah, uh, yeah. So it's uh, certainly uh, as a cast, it's fantastic. So yeah. it is a lot of those Saturday Night Live people, and it is this fusion. You've got Saturday Night Live, and you've got the Python world, mm -hmm. and it's basically bringing those two together. Yeah, which in some respects seems quite weird, but you've got the best of Brits and the best of the Americana, mm -hmm. and they were far more in. You know, I suppose it was an American show. Yeah, produced for American TV. Yeah. They, the, Erica was the, the the sort of the Brit that had a bit of a name, uh, which is why he's, uh, you know, why he's also part of the band. I think that's that's one of the stories I've read is that, um, because Eric was kind of known in the states as Power Python, yeah, that's why he appears as part of the singing performance band, yeah, because they needed that familiarity. It wasn't enough just to have him book and everything, yeah, but it didn't do terribly well on its first outing, did it not? No, it was quite low down in the listings uh, for that week because I'm like. Place seventy six out of the programs. Yeah. It didn't do amazing. It was only later on when it started getting rerun, mm. when the album started kind of getting a bit of attention. That's when people went back to this and looked at it very, very affectionately. Yeah, and a lot of Beatles fans are, are apparently mad for it. Yeah, um, I'm the other way around. I, I just <laughs> said this on the radio last week that actually for me, I think the Ruttles songs are better than the Beatles originals. Yeah, for the most part. Yeah. Um, I'm more likely to sing the words to ouch than I am to help. Yeah. Um, I, I, I'm quite prone to get up and go. Yeah. You know? Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's a terrible way to be, but that's, that's what's in my head. Yeah. Oh, I can see, um, I can see why. No, they're, they're definitely good. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I haven't, uh, I, I think I'll need to go and download a load <laughs> or at least watch it all on on YouTube. I, I, I think you should. I think there's a lot to be got out of this. Yeah, like there's there's so much of uh, Neil's music, you know, and then uh, like the Bonzos and you've got the Ruddles. Yeah, um, I'm just gonna have to go binge it all and just soak it all in. The, there's a whole world of stuff out there, you know. Um, yeah. it's it's worth looking into. Yeah, got to go back to Python as well. Yeah. Um, yeah, so there you go. So, I, I I mean, I know this conversation has meandered all over the place and it hasn't been completely focused on... on the Ruttles. The Ruttles. The prefab for The legend. The living legend. The legend that will go on living long after lots of other living legends have died. Yeah. Um, and they were indeed at the time bigger than Rod. Tiny to explain that reference to people bigger than Rod. Probably not. Oh. Watch the film. Yeah, it's watch, watch it. It's, watch it's good. It's very enjoyable. Um... So yeah, it, it is one of things. And I, I, I should add to you, just because you probably don't know this, the Ruttles did have an afterlife as well. Um, so not only was there that first album, they did tour extensively up until uh, 2019. Right. Um, I did get to meet Neil and uh, John, uh, Barry Wom, uh, last year mm -hmm. in Edinburgh. Oh well. Um, Neil was not at all well. He had been suffering from a terrible cold. Yeah. But he still got up on stage and did his stuff and the band was amazing. Uh, I thoroughly enjoyed it. Uh, and it was just nice to kind of connect with what were for me like some of my heroes yeah and it was a thoroughly nice bloke yeah um but the ruttles story not only as a live band and they had a number of reunions and playing different variations of them um there was also a second film there was a second one yeah so eric idol by himself without any involvement from the other ruttles um produced a follow-up called can't buy me lunch um 
and it's basically a new uh, it's an updated version it's it's him doing a new narration as a new as the documentarian and a lot of the old footage and some outtakes and new interviews with um stars mm-hmm. people like david bowie are in this one um but it got panned critically by everybody and we liked it they thought it was just a cheap cash in and because there was no involvement with the rest of the roles they weren't invited yeah um, apparently, so just, they have a big fallout or something. Is that why that happened? Uh, there was, and for legal reasons, I would be very, not, very careful what I would say because yeah. I don't know exactly what the ins and outs are. Yeah. Um, there is evidence online if you look at it of a, a bit of a spat between Neil and uh, Neil and Eric. Mm-hmm. Um, they have said various things to each other over the years. They've had a bit of a love hate relationship. There's been points where they've been really, really pally, and then they've gone away and they've not chatted, and then they have again and they've re- reunited, and it's been okay. Um, Neil was a notable absence during the Python reunion shows, even yeah. though he'd been a big part of the live shows for a, a long time, yeah. um, which was a bit of a shame. Um, but they, they'd, they'd had their, their, their disagreements, put it that way. But I think it's fair to say that the Ruttles as a, as a combination mm-hmm. was something that, that you know, really it did take the power of them and it shows the best of that working relationship. Yeah. Um, and it's a great piece of cultural history that I hope lives on. Yeah. Long arts are long, long arts. Uh, long after lots of other pieces of cultural history uh, have died. Yeah. Um, so yes, absolutely fantastic. Um, so yes, that that's the rolls in a nutshell. Um, so I know this has been a very very meandering show for for you guys tonight. Um, we have been talking a lot about not just about the film but also about the industry and, and sort of the creative arts, um, which is our excuse. We don't do it very often to, yeah. to actually talk about the realities of these things. Yeah. Um, look interested in your feedback as always you know how to get in touch with us we are on twitter and facebook as cinepunked c-i-n-e-p-u-n-k-e-d uh, you'll find us on instagram as cinepunked film uh, if you don't already subscribe to the podcast we've got lots of other interesting things happening um, some nice stuff in the back catalogue as well uh, a lot of the guests and um, you can subscribe via thing leave us some reviews interact with us all the usual and you'll find us also on www.cinepunked.com um, ben, thanks very much. No problem, thank you. This is our first little two-hander. Yeah. Don't know. <laughs> if, if Rachel lets us, we'll do some more. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> we'll, we'll see how they go. Yeah. Um, so yeah, uh, until the next time, folks. Cheerio. See you later. stirring my tea. I was trying to think of a suitable quote with the tea. A suitable quote with the tea? Yes, because if you recall, uh, in the 1960s, at the end of the 60s, they get very into tea. Yes, they did get very into tea. Into tea. 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 Biscuits. Biscuits and tea. Can't have tea without biscuits. 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 Got in him. No. 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 No